thank you, choir. I love that song. That's, that's a great truth. I appreciate the compliment from Jay about preaching. I'm kind of reminded of that preacher who had some of his members not so complimentary and say, we are not real satisfied with your preaching. And he said, well, when my wife starts writing better sermons, I'll start preaching better sermons. <laughs> so anyway, open up your Bibles if you have them to 2 Samuel chapter 12 as we continue through this saga of David's situation he found himself in. And... Um, One thing I want to remind you of is David was a man after God's own heart. That always needs to be in the forefront. He was a lover of our God. He was faithful to our God. He was one who had received the blessings of God. But yet, he sinned grievously against the Lord. And we have seen a man after God's own heart committing sin. And then we saw a man after God's own heart covering sin. Last week, we saw a man after God's own heart confessing sin. And today, we're going to see a man after God's own heart conquering sin. There is victory, and there is forgiveness, and there's restoration. And it's a great, great experience for David. And this is just how life is right here. And so, yes indeed, a Christian, a person who has the heart of God and God has his heart, can fall into sin. And he will experience, or she will experience, the chastisement of God as a result of it. God was not going to let his... His children, His people go without chastisement when they fall into sin. But by a father's grace and a father's mercy, that sin can be overcome and there can be victory in it. This sin can be conquered. And what we're going to see in this text, beginning with verse 13... We're going to see what or how a person who has had his sin conquered, what life is like. What's it like when sin is conquered in your life? We have seen when when sin has, has been victorious over us what it's like, but today the tables switch. And there are... A couple of truths I need to show you before we give you those uh, characteristics of a life that has conquered sin in Christ. The first one is, is verse 13. We finished out with this last week. But you remember David had sinned. He had committed adultery. He had murdered. He had covered it up. And after a year, it's been a year that he stewed in that. An awful year it must have been. And then Nathan, God sends Nathan the prophet. Nathan gives him a parable. And David gets angry and pronounces the death penalty upon a man who had stolen a lamb. And then Nathan says, thou art the man. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan says to David. And Nathan said unto David, verse 13, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Thou shalt not die. Those little words. And so David is forgiven. The guilt is gone because he has confessed his sin to the Lord. He has repented. God has graciously been faithful to forgive him of his sin and to cleanse him from his unrighteousness. And that's how sin is conquered. It's just that simple. We agree with God that it's sin when we are confronted by Him. 
by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, whatever the Spirit of God uses to confront us with our sin when we agree with God about it and confess it and agree with Him and repent from it and turn from it, God puts it away. It's gone. He forgets it. It's gone. He proves Himself faithful. And then in verse 14, notice that one word at the very beginning. In the King James Version, it says, How be it. Boy, it'd be wonderful if it wasn't for the how be it's. I don't like the how be it's of life. But here's a how be it. There are some consequences to this sin. There are some consequences. See, a Christian can choose to sin. But he cannot choose whether or not God will chastise him because God will. And he cannot choose the consequences because they're coming. Even after there's forgiveness, they're coming. There's, there's consequences. And there's some consequences that we're going to read about today and next week, Lord willing. And for a few more weeks, there's some consequences that are barging into David's house for the next 20 years. Folks, this was adultery and murder. This wasn't, uh, this was serious. This impacted his life for 20 years. When I pray for my children, I know that they will make mistakes. And I pray that their mistakes would not rise to the level of where the effect of them lasts their life. I say, Lord, help them to be wise in such a way that their mistakes might affect them for a few weeks. One time we had some vandalism, and uh, I uh, went to see the judge about it, and um, we were blessed. Jay didn't have to go to jail. But anyway, I'm playing. But I went to see the judge about it, and I was explaining to the judge, look, you know, we just want it cleaned up and and wanting to learn a lesson. And the judge said, I tell you what, this won't be the end of his world, but for about three months, I'm going to make it, make him think it's the end of the world. And I said, well, amen. Well, I pray that God would not let their mistakes or their sins have effect, but this one did for 20 years. And David says in verse 14, how be it, or God says, because by this deed... You have given great occasion, great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to thee shall surely die. The child shall die. I want to tread very carefully here. I want to be very sensitive here. And how I present this is very important because I don't want to be insensitive. But how you receive this is also very important. And so we're going to stick to the text. You see, David would experience two kinds of consequences for his sin. And remember, these are consequences of forgiven sin. The first we're going to see, or one type of consequence we're going to see, is some natural consequences to this sin. Don't you think, I mean, you have Bathsheba in the palace now. You have Ahithophel as David's chief counselors, who is Bathsheba's granddaddy. You have um, some dysfunction, wouldn't you say? And uh, that's just the natural consequence of such behavior. And we're going to see that his sons, his two sons, at least two of them have learned, well actually three of them, have, have learned how to do things and how not to do things from the drumbeat of their father. There's the, 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 the natural consequence of influence. And we have to admit that 
there's sins that have a natural consequence in the influence of others. Where did Solomon learn to get a whole bunch of wives? 700 wives, 300 concubines, or vice versa, it doesn't matter. That's a whole bunch. Where did David learn? Where did Solomon learn to acquire so many wives? Well, David started out that way. See, sin influences the next generation. And my sins, if I'm not careful, will knock on the door of my children and pay them a visit with influence. And that's David's situation. Absalom. Where did Absalom learn that you can murder somebody and, and uh, get away with it? See, we're going to see that. Next week, let me just tell you this. Come back next Next week's going to be going to be tough. That's a hard chapter, 13. But there are also not only natural consequences to sin, but there are divine consequences. Things that God does. And God has His reason for doing them. And we have to trust that God is sovereign and right and good and just and holy and gracious and merciful. Even when those divine consequences that, that were solely an act of His sovereign will. Okay? And that's the first consequence that David faces because of his sin. Look at verse 14. The child that is born unto thee and Bathsheba shall die shall die. Why did this child have to die? Because God gives us the answer right in our text. And once again, I want to be sensitive. And how you receive this is important. And he says, because by this deed, You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And so David's sin of adultery and murder and covering it up for a year had given the enemies of Jehovah great occasion to blaspheme. Look at David. I thought thought this God that these Jews worshipped was a holy God. I thought he was a God who honored his word. And and, and don't they always say that, that, that God wrote in stone, Thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not kill? But look at... Look at David. This man is after his own heart. This man is the king of of his chosen people. Look what he's getting away with. So this God must not be so holy after all. This God must not be so impactful in people's lives as he claims to be. That he lets somebody like David get away with it. Oh, he he let David get away with it, but boy, if it was me and you, we'd be under the jail. And they blaspheme, speak against the character of God. Remember, David was the one who stood before the big giant Goliath and said, You come to me with swords and spears and weapons. I come unto you in the name of the Lord God Jehovah. And now David has allowed the enemies of God to blaspheme that very name. And God honors His name. And by the way, sermon within a sermon, there's only one thing that God honors above His name. And that's His Word. He honors His Word above His name. But David says, or God says, I will honor my name. And you, this deed has given the enemies of the Lord 
great occasion, great opportunity, and they seized it to blaspheme, to blaspheme. So you will make note that as David's consequences play out over the next 20 years, beginning with this one, it is not the enemies of God who are going to blaspheme. They're going to get the message real clear. You don't sin before this God. You don't. Because He will judge you. So it's not the enemies of God in the next 20 years that are going to blaspheme the name of God. It's David's friends. And it's David's family. And so God corrected that. That's very hard to take. It's very hard to take. I raise my eyebrows when I read that. But that is because, like you, I sometimes do not think correctly about the holiness and justice of God. I bring him down a little bit. And I raise my eyebrows. But thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And David's sin had given the enemies every opportunity to take it in vain. And God says, I'm correcting that. And it's going to be painful for David and Bathsheba. Do you see that? That's right there in the text. You can't, you can't say any other thing about it. Now, another thing is, verse 15, after Nathan told him all about, all about that, look at verse 15, and Nathan departed unto his house. This coming Wednesday night, the Lord willing, we're going to talk about Nathan some more. I love Nathan. He's one of my favorite characters. But only a preacher would understand that first verse, that first line of verse 15, and Nathan departed in his house. Sometimes I preach some things, and the only thing I want to do is get out of here. Amen? When I'm done. And Nathan just said, I'm done. I told you how it is, David. I told you how the cow ate the cabbage. It's done. I'm going home. And Nathan went to his house. And we're going to see Nathan show up one more time. But he went to his house until he was summoned again. The preacher's job was done. The point was made. He had done all that God had sent him to do on this occasion. And David had repented and received the Lord and been told that God's name will be restored in this land. He will not let you be the occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme, so there are consequences you will experience. And in those consequences, you're going to be a testimony to the holiness of God, David. And David was right with the Lord. It's sometime after this that David wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. He wrote in Psalm 51, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. In Psalm 32, he wrote, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. David says, I'm going to have all these consequences, but I know because my fellowship with God is right, my sin is forgiven, I can have joy and God will uphold me when these consequences barge into my palace. And David is restored to the joy of the Lord. You may not think it, you may not see it, but you read the Psalms that relate to this time period in David's life, and there's the restoration of joy. Isn't it wonderful that the mercy and grace and help of God and sustaining work of God in us can give us joy even in the consequences of our sin? I'm reminded of the great hymn writer John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. It's a favorite hymn of many. He also wrote another hymn, which is my favorite hymn. We do not sing it anymore. It hasn't been in a hymn book for a hundred years. And I know I'm an old soul, but it is my favorite hymn. And the first time I ever heard it, I said, that's my favorite hymn. It was about 30 years ago. And I said, that's my favorite hymn. And to this day, it's still my favorite hymn. But what you need to know about John Newton before I give you the first verse of this hymn without singing it. 
is that John Newton, Newton suffered with crippling arthritis. He lived in London, and he suffered with, with crippling rheumatoid arthritis. It was very painful. And you got to remember, this was several hundred years ago, and so the winters were brutal because they had no central heat. And he would feel that, that great pain when the winters would set in, and they were very hard. The winters were very hard on him physically, very painful. And so he compared the winters, the winter effect upon his arthritis with his spiritual walk with Christ. And when he wasn't in fellowship with the Lord, what it was like. And this is the first stanza of my favorite hymn he wrote. It goes like this. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields try in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. And so David knew what John Newton knew. When you are restored in your fellowship with the Lord and your sin is conquered, December is as pleasant as May. And you have the joy of the Lord in spite of and despite of the consequences of your sin. And that is exactly what God did. He restored David. Sin was conquered. Now, let's get to the sermon. What is it like when the backsliders restored? What is it like when that... Man after God's own heart is living victorious because God has conquered his sin. Well, let's look at it and see. First of all, you can get in touch with God again through prayer. When David heard that the consequences would be heavy upon him, in verse 15, it says, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, see that Uriah's wife, bare unto David, and it was very sick. And David besought God for the child. He prayed. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? David had done something in these verses that he hadn't done in a year. He went to the Lord in prayer. He prayed. He spent time in fellowship during a crisis. This tragic consequence drove him to his knees, but he had confidence that he could go to the Lord in prayer. And with a broken heart and a burdened heart, he would pray and fast for six days. See, there is a devotion to the Lord, even though the consequences would be upon him. And see, when sin is conquered in your life, you don't, when sin is unconquered in your life, you don't want to pray. You don't want to face the Lord. You don't want to talk to Him. But when sin is conquered in your life, that's what you want to do. And David, knowing this burden is going to be upon him for six days, beseeched the Lord and fellowship with the Lord and had freedom to go to the Lord. And with humility and brokenness, he brought it to the Lord. And you see, when sin is not conquered, it's, it breaks the fellowship you have with the Lord. When was the last time you spent time in prayer? How often do you go to the Lord in prayer? Is it because your fellowship with Him is broken? And you really don't want to talk to Him. You're hesitant to talk to Him. But David went in and sought his face, and he prayed. And so, first of all, when sin is conquered in your life, you know you can go to God in prayer. And that's what he did. 
And then we continue to read. Verse 19. But when David saw that his servants whispered, he perceived that the child was dead. And therefore David said unto the servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothing and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, what is, What's going on with you? When, when, when the child was alive, you fasted and you wept. But now that the child has passed, you're getting up and you're eating and you're cleaning yourself up. And so we see the second thing. When you live, when your sin is conquered, you surrender to accept the sovereignty of God. You surrender to accept the sovereignty of God. Once again, this child's death is very upsetting to us. And so it should be. It's upsetting to me. It raises my eyebrows. It always has some unanswered questions attached to it. And the answer is, is God will preserve his name. We've already talked about that. But he understood. David understood more than we do. And he was the one going through it. He understood the sovereignty of God. That grace is just that grace. That nothing is owed to him. Nothing is merited by him, and he was in complete submission to the sovereignty of God. And he said, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to move forward. God said this would happen. I prayed and prayed, but God in his sovereignty did not answer my prayer. I accept it, and I move forward. One thing that has helped me digest this and helped me to calm down about it, is David was not as upset about it as I was. David wasn't as upset about it as you are. David said God has acted according to His will. I prayed, hoping to turn the heart of God. But He is sovereign. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And David said, he's my shepherd when I whipped Goliath, and he's my shepherd now. In the good and the bad. In the times of blessing and the times of trouble. David said, he's my sovereign shepherd. And he accepted the sovereign will of God. That is hard to do. In every situation. Certainly in this. And then... I want to share with you one more thing. Look, another thing. A couple of more things. Verse 23. David, uh, in verse 22, he says, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God would be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. The third thing, when you live over conquered sin, your hope in Christ is restored and effective in you. When the joy of your salvation is full, you have a heavenly perspective. You see things in a new light. The things of earth grow strangely dim. You ever heard that line before? In the light of His glory and grace. What a wonderful text that is. I've used it many, many times. I've used it many times at a child's funeral over an infant who had gone to be with the Lord. David said, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. This is a definitive statement on where Children, babies, who have not chosen a wayward life apart from God, who have not chosen to sin, where they go when they die in heaven. David knew he had a little child growing up 
in the presence of the Lord. And he had a heavenly perspective of it. I'm not telling you it's easy. And I'm not telling you it's not mingled with sorrow and pain and hurt. The Christian has two eyes to cry with. One is for the pain and the other is for the hope. And so I will tell you that you have a heavenly perspective. And David knew, one day I'll be reunited. So today, I trust the sovereignty of God. And today, I'm in fellowship with the Lord. And then notice, we see something else in verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. The fourth thing is you experience firsthand the restorative grace of God in the lives of forgiven people. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. The word comfort is an interesting word. It carries with it the meaning of consoling, but also repentance. And indicates that David and Bathsheba repented together. They went together to the Lord. Now, there's something I think needs to be highlighted. This has been a question that has been asked of me, and it's not a bad question at all. But some have questioned, why did Nathan come to David and say to David, "What you did all these things in secret, but God's going to re- do the consequences openly. Well, we know that's because God was going to not let his name be blasphemed anymore. We know that, but the question is, is why didn't David or Nathan confront Bathsheba as well? What's going on with that? Wasn't Bathsheba just as guilty as David? Wasn't, wasn't she a party? I mean, you know, it takes two to commit adultery. And... Was she complicit in the murder? I I don't know. I don't think so. I, I I don't know about that. But I want to tell you a couple of things. Don't lose this. She was broken and hurt just as much as David was. That was her child. She bore that child. She was raising that little boy, that little child. And so she suffered too with this death. It hurt her. But at the same time, Bathsheba goes on to be one of the most wonderful women of all the Bible. She becomes one who's in the genealogy of our Lord. We're going to see she's going to give birth in a moment to a little boy, and they're going to name him Solomon. As a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 31. Y'all ever heard of Proverbs chapter 31? Many Hebrew rabbinical scholars say that was written by Solomon about Bathsheba. And so I tend to believe that. This was a wonderful woman. Now, my um, favorite saxophone player, Miss Tracy, my wife, her and I were talking the other day, and I said, um, you know, Bathsheba, she, she became David's favorite wife. Now, I know that's not, a Christian shouldn't even have that in her mind. I mean, you know. But I said, you know, as a, and she said, oh, I like Abigail. She said, I like Abigail. And you can read about Abigail in 1 Samuel. And we didn't argue. But David's favorite wife was Bathsheba, regardless of which one you like and which one I like. But she became used by God in a great way, a great way. And so when it came time for confrontation, I think there's some dynamics here. One is, is Bathsheba, or David was the king. And you can just imagine there could have very well been an intimidation factor when David sent for Bathsheba. Don't you think? 
somewhat of an intimidation factor. So I want, I want to share this principle with you. Uh, folks, um, you know, guilt is shared, but when you're the leader and the instigator and the promoter and the planner and the devious one, there's more guilt on you than the others. And so Bathsheba was not as confronted, but her and David, according to this word, console and comfort David and her did repent together. And this is the very first time that Bathsheba is called and referred to as David's wife. So the relationship is set in stone. God has said this, I acknowledge it. I give my grace upon it. I give blessing to it. And he did. This is the first time where she is referred to as David's wife. Last time it was Uriah's wife. But now, both of them have repented. Sin has been forgiven. And the marriage relationship is acknowledged by the Lord. And we see that in the inspired scriptures. And so God will use her and David, and she becomes a great blessing to, the, to David, to the nation of Israel, and even to us today. Much to be said about Bathsheba. Isn't it wonderful that, that God can, can station somebody where nobody else has the right to bring up their past? But David does. David is blessed. But don't make the mistake that we often do. That the outcome of something determines whether or not it was the will of God determines whether or not it was, it was what God wanted to do. Oh no, I want to tell you what. David, God could have used David. God could have produced a Solomon. God could have used Bathsheba. And we could be bragging on Bathsheba today like we are now without adultery and without murder. Amen. Don't let, just because something turns out right, don't let that be the determination that it was the will of God. You know what determines the will of God? This book. This book. And so, there you have it. Well, let's go to another thing. Look at verse 24, what happens next. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into unto her, and he lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So they sent for the preacher again. He, they called him to the hospital. And he called his name Jedediah. The preacher said, we're going to call him Jedediah. Don't worry. I don't care what you name your kids. But Nathan said, we're going to call him Jedediah because of, because of the Lord. And so what we learn here, the fifth thing is when your sin is conquered, God's word becomes refreshing to you. It becomes instructive. It becomes rich in your life once again. Solomon is born. The word Solomon, the name Solomon has two meanings. It means peace, and it also means completeness, and it means uh, fulfillment. David named him Solomon to say, now there is peace in my home. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nathan the prophet said he's going to have some terrible consequences come his way, but David says there's peace in my home. That's what it's like when you live in, with sin being conquered. And, and then it means completeness. Their forgiveness is complete. So they called for Nathan. And Nathan said, we're going to call him Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. And it doesn't mean that David, that God loved Solomon and didn't love the other child. What it means is, is that God was going to use this young man. And David, I believe, David knew that Solomon would be the one who would replace him on the throne. And David's thinking back to when the Word of God came to him in chapter 7 about the covenant and his son building the temple and having the throne established forever. David said, this is that young man. This is that king. And next chapter, we're going to see, I think, one thing about why David thought that. But David here says, this is the man. 
As a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles 22, when David is older, he says, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, but God is going to use him to build the temple. And God is going to establish his throne because God has loved him. And so, after one year of being berated by his corruption against God, David is now blessed again by the Word of God. By the Word of God. This time he sins for the preacher. He sins for him. And the Word of God means something to him. Warms his heart. It blesses him. This is the backslider restored. Earlier we said, when your sin is forgiven and you're living above it and and God has conquered it in you, that you go to the Lord in prayer. You want to pray. Well, I want to tell you too. When you are right with the Lord, you you have a hunger for His Word. You know, when God saved you, he put, a, he put a hunger in your heart for His Word. You want to know the Word of God. And you have, you have a love for it and a desire for it. It's an appetite. He gives you a new appetite. And part of that is to be in His Word. David sins for the preacher now. He sins for the preacher. Last time the preacher just barged in. But now David invites him and says, come and and see how God has blessed us. And Nathan says, God has blessed you more than you think, son, because this child is beloved of the Lord. You're going to see God fulfilling his word in this child. And so you have a heart for the Lord. Do you have a heart for the word of God? There's an old saying that sin will keep you from this book. And then this book will keep you from sin. And so it's the word of God. And then we come to one more thing. Now, this is kind of interesting. Look at verse um, 23. One more thing, then we're done. Let me give you a little bit of uh, background on this, what's going to happen here. Um, The point we're going to make is is that the sanctifying work of God continues in your life. When you... are forgiven of your sin as a Christian, you begin to grow in the Lord again. You begin to prosper in the faith in the Lord. And so, what I'm about to read to you is not in chronological order. So, beginning with verse 23, going down to verse 31, that happens while David is still in his sin. It happens sometime between when he had Joab murdered... And when Nathan confronts him within that year. So kind of get retrospective here. And it says, and it says this. And it came to pass. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong text. Uh, verse 23. Verse 26, chapter 12. And Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. You might remember that way back. Before, when, when, before David committed adultery, when he slept late that day and walked out on the porch and saw Bathsheba, Joab was fighting the Ammonites, and David should have been there. And so this just details to us back to that battle. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters, their water supply. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. And David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took their king's crown from off his head. The weight thereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones, and it was set on David's head. And he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance." And he brought forth the people that were therein. He took them captives and put them under saws and under harrows and iron and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. And David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And so this is back in that year before David repented. Joab wins the battle. He's about to take the city and he sends for David. He says, David... If you don't get out here to the battlefield, I'm going to take the city and I'm going to name it after me. If you want it named after you, you better get out here. Joab's just fed up with him. And so David, all right, I'll go take the city. He gets what's left of the army in Jerusalem. They go take the city. And David takes the throne of that king and he takes the crown 
that the king had on his head. Now, I want to share something with you. It says it was a talent of gold with the precious jewels. This was a 75-pound hat. A 75-pound crown. In today's value, it would be worth $1.7 million. Think about that, King Charles. <laughs> 75 pounds. Now, more than likely, it didn't, it, the king didn't wear it. More than likely, it sat on a pedestal above the throne. It was above his head. That's what, that's what the Hebrews say. But David took that crown. But that's not all he did. He, remember, he's still in sin. He's still not where he ought to be with the Lord. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, it says, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time that kings go out to battle, Joab led the power of the army. This is the sister text. And it says, David took the, David took the crown of their king, Weighed a talent of gold. It was set upon him. And he brought out the people that were in the city and cut them in saws with the heralds of iron and with axes. He dealt with the cities of Ammon that way. This shepherd king that we have read was so gracious to his captors takes these people and tortures them, enslaves them, makes them pass through the fires, burns them alive in the brick kilns, all the cities of the Ammonites. You say, that's just not like David. No, it's not. But you've got to remember, he's harboring sin in his heart. He's covering up sin. And what does covered up sin do? It always multiplies. It compounds. And so here is a man, after God's own heart, doing something that God would not do, torturing these people. And he conquers this city, and he takes that crown of 75 pounds and wears it and has it above him. See, what God is showing us here, and why did God put this part at the end of David's forgiveness text? Why? Because he's showing us that even forgiven sin has some heavy consequences. It's a crown you don't want to wear. Sin will take you further than you want to go, even when it's forgiven. It will take you, keep you longer than you want to stay, even after it's forgiven. And cost you more than you want to pay, it will be too heavy a crown for you. And the point is, God will not allow His name to be blasphemed. And He will chastise His people even after He forgives their sins. So His name can be restored. And the world will see He's not going to let His people get away with sin. That's what this text teaches. And another thing, the consequences are what helps us overcome our strongholds. You remember early on, David, before he was king of the whole land, we preached a sermon entitled, David and His Wives. Y'all remember that sermon? And we talked about the dangers of acceptable sin. I mean, he started just taking, he had Michael Saul's daughter, and then he got Abigail, and then he got some others, and some others, and some others. And then he got Bathsheba that way, and he has all these wives. He has all these wives. And it's sin. God said one man for one woman. It's sin. And it affected David all his, all his reign. Solomon learned, picked up the bad habit and it destroyed the nation. But after Bathsheba, he never married again. He never took on another wife. Because the consequences of his sin broke down that stronghold. It broke it down. And the consequences of your sin, folks, keep you from developing a habit. Amen? We learned the lessons. I can remember growing up, we had a 
furnace that was underneath the house. And it had a grate, and the grate would get hot in the winter when you'd run that furnace. In summer, they just covered it up, you know, but they pulled the rug off of it. And we were always told, now, don't walk across that thing barefoot. And you know what my hard-headed brother would do? <laughs> He'd walk across that thing. While I was in my room studying my Bible and praying for the missionaries, he was out there walking around. <laughs> Or he had touched something that shouldn't touch. Do something forbidden to do and it would get hurt, get burned. Well, sometimes you look at your children and say, you know, they're going to do that. And then you look back and say, they're only going to do it once. Huh? Well, these consequences straighten David out on this. Forgiven? Conquered? Yes. But the consequences are a heavy crown. And they keep us from developing habits that God does not bless. And so that is a man after God's own heart conquered sin. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see one of David's most difficult, difficult experiences as a father. Rape and murder will come to his house. And it will be devastating. And it will launch us into a dark time in David's life. Even darker than it has been. But for now, let us be aware that there's grace and help in the consequences. And they serve a purpose. To honor the name of the Lord among the heathen. And also to keep us and to break our strongholds. Let's stand. Is there a decision you need to make for the Lord today? If you're not 100% certain... That your sin has been forgiven. And if you died today, you'd go to heaven. I want to encourage you. You're in the right place. God's brought you here. God brought you to us. So we can share with you how to be saved and know for certain you're forgiven. Maybe today you are one that is bearing the consequences of past sin. Let me encourage you to say, David had the grace of God upon him for those consequences. They were not going to go away. Sometimes they were the natural consequences of bad behavior. At least once it was divine and God just did it because He's sovereign and He knows what is best for His glory and His name. But there's grace for you. And you can be a testimony of that and use it for God's glory. And if we could pray with you about that, we're here to help.